Hallelujah. Well, I got a good news for you. Four people got saved yesterday. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They prayed for salvation. And you know what happens when you pray for salvation? You receive it. Glory to God. That's four more people into the kingdom. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. A lot of prayer went out for different needs of people on the street and a lot of seeds sown into people's lives. Glory to God. And, um, you know, four people get saved. That means angels are rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says the angels rejoice when one person gets saved. It doesn't say angels rejoice when one person gets healed. Because salvation is the eternal. It is the best. It is the greatest of all the promises of God. And if he has given us the greatest promise of salvation, how shall he not with Jesus Christ freely give us all things? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And somebody sowed $20 into the outreach team. Amen. That's the most that was ever received out on the street. <laughs> Glory to God. That means increase. The paths are dripping. The paths are dripping with fatness, abundance, overflow, and the anointing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, let's open up to Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Are you ready to hear the word of God? Are you ready to let the word of God make a change in your life? Are you allow, you're going to allow the word to touch your thinking, touch your believing, bring you into greater places in the kingdom. Hallelujah. God is so good. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you, you, you know the verse. Uh, Pastor Nids talked about this for a while on Tuesdays. You know, if you don't come on Tuesday, I know that many of you work, but what, what Pastor Nid teaches on Tuesday morning, you know, is part of everything else that gets taught here. And uh, you could be missing a very vital word by not hearing what she teaches on Tuesday. And all those flash drives are available that you can get and, and hear that because Tuesday is not on live stream. So you have to uh, get the, uh, you either have to be here for live or you have to get a Memorex. Some of you are not old enough to understand that. But that's okay. So, anyway, I just, uh, <clears throat> I'd encourage you not to miss out on what God is declaring to us as a body. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. Well, you know, we've quoted this many times. And um, is, oh, 2024, part of our direction that the Spirit of God has given to us is a refreshing. So uh, I believe that these verses, 28, 29, and 30, is worthy of a word study so that we can actually understand what Jesus is saying here. And, you know, I mentioned about word studies, original languages, the Greek, the Hebrew that we like to study and look into, because I don't want you to think that when I share something with you that it's just my interpretation. Well, this is what I think it's saying. You don't need what I think it's saying. You need what it is saying. Isn't that right? So I don't want you to think, you know, well, this is just what I've come up with. And, you know, I read this and this is really what it's saying to me. Well, what it says to me is really not what maybe it says to you. So uh, you need to know what the Holy Spirit says to you. So we want to look at an accuracy and a clarity of the Word of God because we know it wasn't written in English. It certainly wasn't written in King James English. It was written in Greek. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, you know, and all those languages. And that's what we always want to look at is the original languages so we can understand what he's saying. And he starts off by saying, come. Come to me. All right, this is, not, uh, this is not deep. Come means come. You know, you were over there, but now you need to come here. That's what come means. Come here. Come here where? Come here to me. Okay? So he's giving us a direction, and he's saying to come. Okay? Come to me, he says, because he is the source of what you need. You know, he wouldn't say come to me if he wasn't the source of what you needed. You know, and we know in order to come to Jesus, we come to what? Come to the Word of God, because the Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word made flesh, 
He is the living Word. There are three in heaven that agree, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So that glory that was on Jesus is the glory that's in the Word. When you look into the Word, you're looking into Jesus and you're looking into His glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That's why the Word of God is not like another novel. It's not like something that man wrote. This has got glory. Hallelujah. So he says, come to me as the source of what's needed. Come over here where I'm at. You know, we know that God lives in us, but how many of you know that you're not always where he's at? <laughs> you know, sometimes we're way off someplace else. You know, it's like people say, well, you know, I don't need to go in church. I can go out on a fishing boat and God will be with me. Yeah, but are you with him? You're more with the trout than you are with him. Don't shout me down. Well, people say things like, I couldn't come to church today. It was a beautiful day. Well, this is Florida. Pretty much every day is a beautiful day. Why don't you go on your beautiful trip on Thursday? Well, I have to work on Thursday. Oh, so your money is more important than God. Don't shout me down. You know, I love you all. See, these are the kinds of things, as much as we might go, uh, as much as that might happen, you know, that's, these are the things that will help you. These are the things that can get your life in order and really turn things around. Because they're points of commitment. Amen. All right. Come to me. How many? All. So this is open to everybody. All who are weary. The word weary, it means fatigued. Fatigued from laboring. This is a physical condition. Wore out, tired, beat down, you're tired. You know, and you've just been laboring a lot. So now you're in a physical condition of being weary. But then he says, not only the weary, but also the heavy laden. And the heavy laden means the overburdened. And it's a mental, emotional condition where you may be, because you can physically labor, but not be mentally overburdened. Isn't that right? So he's talking about somebody here that is mentally and emotionally overburdened. It's a burden of the soul. So to be weary is to be burdened in our flesh, but to be heavy laden is to be burdened in our soul. Amen. And what is the promise? He said, I'll give you rest. And the word rest is actually refreshing. I will refresh you. Praise God. Amen. So since refreshing, when we come to Jesus, if refreshing is given to us, then that refreshing brings an end to the physical and the soulish burdens. Now, it's not a permanent end. It is as you come to him that burden is relieved. Isn't that right? Okay. The Passion Translation of this verse, he says, I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Hallelujah. So the weary and the heavy laden are like somebody that's out on the desert and they're looking, they're, they're in dry places and they need that oasis to where they can get refreshed. And Jesus says, I am your oasis when you're in that dry and thirsty place. Come to me. You're weary, heavy laden, physically and emotionally and mentally, soulishly burdened down. I will give you a refreshing. Amen. Now, you know, a lot of times when we read the word of God, we'll see that Jesus said, follow me. He said to people, follow me. Right. But here he says, come to me. He's the only source that can give you the quality and the quantity of the refreshing that is needed. There is no other source. Your vacation won't do it. Your vegging out in front of the TV is not going to do it. You know, you're just, uh, I just want to shut everything off and don't bother me and just leave me alone. Don't, uh, that stuff's going with you no matter where you go. It's like people that have issues going on living in a certain town, so they want to move to another town. But yet the issues are on the inside of them, so no matter where they move to, the issues go with them. And they'll say things like, well, no matter where I go, I, I just always have the same problems. It must be them people. No, it's not them people. It's what's in you. Amen. 
Amen. Yeah, I told you about the account when I was moving my daughter over from the, the East Coast and her marriage was in a lot of trouble and uh, she needed to get out of there because things were not good. So Pastor Nid and I, we got, we got ourselves a, a moving truck. We went over to the East Coast, brought some, my son and a few people with us and we loaded her up and filled up the truck and we're ready to pull out of the driveway and my wife's, uh, not my wife, my daughter says to me, oh, I forgot to leave the jacket in the house for Tony. This is his jacket. I don't want to take it. I said, well, give it to me and I'll bring it up there. And I brought the jacket upstairs. I opened the door. I walked in, put the jacket down, and I turned around to walk out. And all of a sudden, it was like a hopelessness that just came upon me. And I stopped for a minute and I said, oh, no, 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 no. I know who you are. I will not take this demon of depression. You can get off me and you can stay in the house, but you are not coming with me. And I walked out of that house. I shut the door behind me and that thing stayed in the house. Now, what would have happened if I didn't realize what was going on and I took that with me? Well, then we would have moved all the way, moved her over to the East Coast and everything. And the same thing would have gone on here that went on over there. Amen. But when you don't take it in you, it can't go with you. Praise God. Amen. We walked over, we came over here. She was free from all of that. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he is the only source of the refreshing that we need. The quantity of it the quality of it. He is it. Now, we can come to him on an individual basis. I can be at home. I can come to his word. I can pray in the Holy Ghost. I can spend some time with him and get refreshed on an individual basis. We can come into church like this and under the corporate anointing and we can get refreshed in here. We can have ministry and lay hands on you and the anointing of God go into you and there's a refreshing that comes from that also. Isn't that right? The bottom line is refreshed. He wants you to be refreshed. Praise God. Hallelujah. However, he wants to do it. Amen. Amen. Because the how things happen, we don't know. We know what can happen. We know what the promise is and we know what we declare. And this is what we're pressing in for. But how it happens is all up to God. Amen. How the seed grows, we don't know. And yet it's the one thing we worry about. How's this going to happen? How's this going to take place? Well, that's the thing we worry about. And then to try to stop worrying, we declare how it's going to happen. And God's like, did I say that? And then when it don't happen, we get discouraged, we get depressed, we get disillusioned. Because it wasn't a leading of God, it was just our own idea. We're telling God how he's going to do it. I don't know if you know this. God's not in the habit of being told anything. He just does the telling. Amen. <laughs> Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Then he goes on to say here, and he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay? So he says, Take. So just like come, take. This is not deep. you got to take it. And it means to take it to yourself, and it means to lift it up in your life. Lift this up in your life and take this away with you. You know, when Elisha, Elijah rather, went up into heaven in the chariots of fire, the mantle dropped from Elijah. It did not fall on Elisha. Elisha had to what? Go pick it up. He had to take it. So there are things that God has dropped for you, but you have to take it. It will not just fall on you. See, a lot of people are just waiting. I'm just waiting for it to fall on me. But you're removing targets. You're not standing still. No, you have to take it. You got to take it. He says, take my yoke. Okay. Jesus' yoke has been revealed to us through his life in his obeying God's will. 
and he walked in God's will in contrast to the yoke of the law or the yoke of the flesh or the yoke of the world system. So we need to take his yoke, which means obeying the will of God. Take that to ourselves. And yoke means to be what? Coupled together. Like two animals in the field, they're yoked together. Isn't that right? And it was a bar or a frame of wood and two draft animals would be joined at the head or the neck in order to work together effectively in pulling a plow. Okay, so the purpose of the yoke is so that one wouldn't go in one direction and one wouldn't go in the other direction. The more you get yoked with Jesus, you'll go in the same direction and stop going in opposite directions. You know, you know, if you have a line that goes across this way and you have a line underneath that goes across this way and they're supposed to be parallel. Well, if you get off just a little bit, the further you go, the farther away it is. And this is why people say things like, well, you know, I mean, you know, it's not too bad. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of doing what I used to do and I'm, I'm kind of like this and that. But, you know, I, I don't actually do everything I used to do with Jesus. Boom. And the further you go, the farther off you are. And then one day you come to yourself and you go, I don't know how I got here. You didn't catch it in the beginning. You let it go, let it go, let it go. Sweep it under the rug. Oh, everything will be okay. Are you with me? So we are to be coupled together. It's a yoke. We are to be yoked together with him. The two animals were yoked together so that they could work together effectively. Aren't we supposed to be co-workers with the Lord? Okay. So we can't be going in two different directions. We have to be going in the direction he wants us to go in. Part of the yoke is to be coupled together in servitude. Jesus' whole life was in service to the Lord. So we have to know our part and our place within the body and give ourselves in servitude in that area. This yoke is also called the beam of balance. The beam of balance. Why? Because it creates a balanced life. It creates a sound life. When we're yoked together with him, our life is balanced. Why? Because we learn. Take my yoke and learn from me. Okay, the word learn means to be taught. It actually means to come to understand. To come to understand. So this is not just hearing intellectual information. Coming to understand is revelation in our heart. Isn't that right? So he says learn, be taught, come to understand, which implies reflection on the information. You know, you're going to hear a lot of stuff today. But if you leave here today and never even reflect on it, never even think about it, then next week you'll come back to hear some more. I've totally forgotten what you heard the week before. And life never changes because all you're doing is getting information. And we ought to be taking the things that we hear. And you hear enough here between Sunday services, Wednesday services, Tuesday services. You hear enough here to keep you busy all week reflecting on what you've heard. You don't need Uncle George and Joe and everybody else, all the YouTube people. You don't need to be listening to all that stuff. This is why your life isn't increasing. This is like the electrician that goes to electronic school to learn. But on his free time, he goes to plumbing school. I got free time. I'm going to go to plumbing school. Oh, I got some more free time. I'm going to framing school. Oh, I got some more free time. I'm going to roofing school. And what does he usually learn? Nothing. Because he should have, and you all know this because you've been through school, whether you liked it or not. We all been through school. And the whole idea of going to school is you take what you learned in school that day and study it. That gives me the shakes. I, I was never a school person. I didn't like school. I don't like, didn't like studying. I didn't like reading. What else didn't I like? Reading comprehension was the worst thing that I could ever do in school. 
you know, they give you something to read, then they ask you questions. And I'm going back to what I re read, and I'm trying to look for the answer. But no, you had to figure out what the answer was based on comprehension. There was only one thing I comprehended, and that was I didn't like comprehension. <laughs> it's the only thing I, only, that was the conclusion that I came to. <laughs> so school wasn't for me. So I never learned anything. After three years, I went to electronics high school. I majored in electronics for three years. And then in my third year, I found out, in order to graduate, I'm going to have to take a test on all four years. And I figured, I'm going to be in here till my beard's down to here, because I ain't never getting out of here. So my last year of high school, I transferred over to a general high school and majored in music. I, I, I played the piano, I played the bass fiddle, and I played the oboe. And that's how I was able to graduate. <laughs> that was not a godly plan, just so you know. Where was I? So it goes to electronic school, so then you're supposed to study what you've learned. And then the next day you go back and learn some more and study some more because you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. You know, the things that we learn here, the enemy wants to test you and see if you understand and got a hold of because you said you believe something. And once you said you believe it, he's coming to test and see if you really do believe it because he don't want you believing it. He wants you to fail. Isn't that right? So the things that we learn and the things that we hear are the things we're supposed to be reflecting on so that the intellectual knowledge that we're hearing, the wisdom that's coming to us, becomes understanding inside of us. And that then turns into application into our life. Right? Amen. So when he says learn, he's talking about coming to the place of understanding the information given. So this gives us a sense of responsibility. Take my yoke and learn. So who's responsible to learn? We are. We're responsible to learn. The Dictionary of Biblical Languages says, come to learn, which implies reflection. To learn and understand his ways. Come to him and follow him. These are actions of a disciple. Come to him and then follow him. Amen. Go to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Yeah, there it is. Hebrews chapter 5. And let's look in verse 8. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now we know that the suffering wasn't the suffering on the cross. Because that would have been, he didn't learn obedience until the end of his days. No, he suffered all of his life. When he went to Nazareth and they rejected him, he suffered rejection. They tried to throw him off the cliff and wanted to kill him. He suffered that. He suffered the pressures of the religious leaders always coming against him. You know, there were a lot of things that came against Jesus, against his flesh, to try to get him to quit. But instead of falling to the things that he was suffering, he learned to be obedient. Well, the mirror translation says it this way. Acquainted with sonship, he was in the habit of hearing from above. And what he heard distanced him from the effect of what he had suffered. Amen. Now, 21st century Christians will read it this way. Acquainted with sonship, I'm in the habit of hearing from above, so that what I hear, I will not have to suffer. That's not what he said. He said it distanced him from the effects of what he had suffered. In other words, he went through the suffering, but he was separated from the effects of it. So he was separated from the effects of rejection. 
he was separated from the effects of murderous threats. You know, when he got notice of Lazarus being sick, he knew by the Spirit of God that Lazarus had already died. And his disciples said to him, are we going to go over there? You know, they were just trying to kill you. So then after a few days, Jesus says, okay, we're going over there now. And what did the disciples say? Okay, we're all going to go die together. See, Jesus was separated from the effects of those things because he knew what he heard. People, even Christians, fall into not just the suffering, but the effects of it because they don't know what they heard. I thought I heard, but now look at what's going on. Well, maybe what's going on is in effect or in a resistance, an obstacle to what you heard. So you need to take charge over those things you're dealing with. You know, when Jesus was in the storm, the father said, go to the other side. And Jesus rose up and rebuked the storm. In fact, he would not have even rebuked the storm if the disciples weren't scared. Jesus just went to sleep. Don't bother me. I already said it. We're going to the other side. Doesn't matter what's going on. I'm taking a nap. But his disciples were scared. They woke him up and said, don't you care? See, they were not separated from the things they were uh, suffering. Jesus stood up, rebuked the storm, and he said, what's wrong with you boys? No faith? And it wasn't faith to take authority over the storm. It was faith over his words that he said. He said, let us go over to the other side. He had just finished talking about the parable of the sower. So when he said, let's go over to the other side, he seeded that. The word, the, the sower sows the word. So the word was spoken, let's go over to the other side. That was enough. But they didn't trust his word. So he had to get up and rebuke the storm. Acquainted with sonship, he was in the habit of hearing from above what, and what he heard distanced him from the effect of what he had suffered. Amen. He was in the habit. Habit. Most Christians are more in the habit of having problems than they are in hearing because they don't run to God to hear anything until they have a problem. And since they're not in the habit of hearing, they have a hard time hearing. And then you'll hear things like this. Well, God hasn't answered me. No, you haven't heard him. Hallelujah. He talks to us, but we have to hear him. And it's not going to be a voice from the clouds. It's going to be a voice on the inside. And we have to hear him when he speaks. But you've got to develop a habit of hearing him. Well, how do you develop a habit of hearing them? Wanting to hear them when you don't need to hear them. When you don't have a need, you don't have a problem. When you're not afraid. And get in the habit of hearing them. So you've got to get in the habit of spending time with them. You have to get in the habit of coming to him. Amen. Hallelujah. He was in the habit of hearing. Now, was it only hearing, and this is important, as everything else is that we said today, but is he only in the habit of hearing the Holy Spirit speak to him? Well, Hebrews 10.7. Uh, It says, then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. The mirror translation says, then I said, I read it in your book, what you wrote about me. So here I am. I've come to fulfill my destiny. So this isn't just hearing the Holy Spirit on the inside. It's hearing the word of God talk to you. If you don't spend time in the Word of God and let that Word talk to you, you don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because it's all a shooting match. 
Did I hear? Didn't I hear? Was that God? Wasn't it God? Well, why don't you know? Because you're not in the habit of hearing. You should be in that word. And that word talks to you. The Bible tells you the word will talk to you because it's the word of the Holy Spirit made known comes on the breath of God. That same breath that brought the word of God is the same breath of God that will speak it to you. Amen. Are you with me? We hear the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. That's where you learn to hear the voice of God. If you don't hear the voice of God when you're reading the Word of God, you're always going to wonder, is that God? I don't know, is that God? You know, when, when I was a kid and my father, you know, I lived in the house and my father was in the house and he would talk to me sometimes, like, get me another beer, you know, whatever it might have been. But that's, yeah, get up and change the channel. I was the remote. So, I mean, so, you know, I knew his voice from in the house. So when we would go out, we lived on a street. This was in New York. We lived on the street. There's 100 kids live on this street. It's about a quarter of a mile long, one street. And there's a big bend halfway down the street. So we would go down the corner and play baseball. And my house was around the bend, so you couldn't see my house from where we played. But my father would walk out of the house, and he'd say, Bob! Time to eat. That's all. He'd just yell. He wouldn't come get me. He'd just walk out of the house, yell. <laughs> what do you want from a New York Italian family? Everybody yells. <laughs> so it didn't matter how many bobs there were on the baseball field. I knew I was the bob being called because I knew the voice. Well, how did I know the voice? Because I spent time around him when I could see him. Therefore, I knew his voice when I didn't see him. Do you think that when my wife calls me up, she has to call me up and go, and I go, who is this? That's not going to go over well. I'm going to answer the phone and go, hello, mama. And she's going to say something. I'm going to go, oh, I didn't realize that was you. That ain't going to go over well. <laughs> So I know a voice because after 50 years, I should know a voice, you know. So the way you get to know God's voice is by knowing him, by being around his word. And that word speaks into your spirit. And therefore, when you're not in front of that word and that same voice speaks to you, you understand and you recognize that voice. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So you don't need to have problems, troubles, fears, and everything else to go to the Word. You go to the Word and spend some time in that Word. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Read a psalm every day. Get in the Word. Amen. Let's see. Hebrews 5, back to Hebrews 5, 8. Yeah, I'm sorry, 5, 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. The mirror translation says it this way. By his perfect hearing, he forever freed mankind to hear what he heard. He forever freed mankind to hear what he heard. You see, through salvation, you become a new creature in Christ. You are born of the Holy Spirit, regenerated and renewed by the power of God. The veil of the flesh has been removed so that we can come into the presence of our Father. Isn't that right? So he's freed us now to where when he was on the earth and the sky would open up and the Father would say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And some people go, was that thunder? kind of noise was that? But Jesus heard it. But now he's freed everybody that is a child of God, born again in the likeness of God, new creature in Christ. Every single one of us now is free to be able to hear God speak to us on the inside. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, when I was a child... And as a child, they brought me to church. And in church, they would tell you, don't ever read the Bible. You'll go crazy. 
They would tell you that all the, they'd say, you, you need to come to church and, and, and they'll tell you what the Bible says, but don't you read it on your own. You weren't allowed to have a Bible. But thank God in Jesus. Now, that wasn't a uh, life-giving church that I was in. It wasn't one that preached salvation. So now that we are in Christ, we're free to be able to hear like he heard. So if we're free to be able to hear like he heard, then we're free to be disconnected from the effects of the troubles. Doesn't mean we don't experience troubles. We have them, but we don't have to suffer the effects of them. Because I'm more concerned with what I heard than what I feel or what's going on in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. So we ought to take that yoke, that same yoke, and learn from him. So we can now hear in such a way that we can participate again in the full release of our original identity. You know, spiritually... We're in that same condition and position that Adam was in the garden. The original identity of man. And we can walk in that. The word of God, which is the Logos, becomes revelation to us, which is Rhema. Isn't that right? That Logos, the word, the word, finds voice now in the incarnation that is within us which is Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the earth, the Father spoke through Jesus. Well, now you're on the earth. You are the body of Christ. And he wants to speak through us. But you have to hear him. Amen. Not your ideas, not what you think, but you have to hear him. Learning and walking in what we learn. And he says, learn from me, for I am, oh, I'm sorry, we're back in Matthew. He says, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, uh, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Amen? Now, the word gentle is the same Greek word that was, that's actually Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Uh, so that word gentle is the same Greek word that Jesus used when he spoke the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, this word gentle is the same Greek word as when he said, blessed are the meek. Now, the primary meaning of this word gentle is mild, mild and gentle. It is the balance. Now, listen to this carefully. It's the balance between stubborn anger and negative character that's incapable of even righteous indignation. Now, why do I bring that up to you? Because most people would agree with that. But these were pre-Christian pagan meetings. This is a pre-Christian pagan meeting. Because most people think mild and gentle is I'm not overbearing, but yet I'm not this. I'm just like right in the middle. In the middle of what? These are pagan meetings. Why? Because in a pagan meeting, it expresses only outward conduct. See, to many th people, they think if I act okay outwardly, then everything's good. But yet, all the religious leaders look good. And Jesus said, but you're full of dead man's bones. Jesus said, you've heard not to commit adultery. But I'm telling you this right now. If you look at a woman that lusts after her, you've already committed adultery. I bet eyes got that big when he said that. Because they were all concerned with only outward conduct. But God looks at the heart. Amen. When they taught, when the, the, when the pagan definitions of gentle was given, it was about contemplating only a relationship to another person. But that's not the Christian meaning of this word gentle or, or meek. The Christian meaning describes an inward quality and that as related primarily to God. Not man, but to God. It means mildness or kindness 
Okay, mildness or kindness was represented by the classical word of the pagans. And it was founded in, pay attention, it was founded in self-control and natural disposition. Now, is there anything wrong with self-control? No, but if it's only out here, it ain't working. That's why the Bible talks about pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, because it's the inward stuff. You can be an outward saint and an inward creep. Not you. That's just a general statement. <laughs> so the Christian meekness is based on humility, which is not a natural quality, but it's an outward growth of a renewed mind. And this is why I say to you over and over again, and I've said it for years and years and years and years, why I talk against lifting up somebody's personality or natural disposition. Well, you know, they could believe God because they're that kind of person. You're a pagan. When you start excusing and reasoning things over to somebody's personality or their natural disposition, you're going down that road of pagan understanding. So that tells me that God don't really give a rip about your natural disposition or your personality. He wants you to change it. And stop going down that, well, this is just the way I am. This is the way, it always, this is the way I've always been, and this is my personality. Change it! You're excusing why you can't obey God. Amen. I know that was a little strong. Maybe you didn't like it, but I bet you won't forget it. And that's the idea. You got to change those things. So, this meekness is to be an outgrowth of a renewed nature. And this is why Jesus said about being gentle and humble in heart. In heart. Not in his natural disposition or his personality. I'm supposing that when he faced the religious leaders, he was not very gentle what we would consider gentle, or a pagan definition of gentle. And this is how we judge. We judge lots of stuff that goes on based on pagan definitions. And we think we're being godly. And then we wonder why things aren't working. Hello. Gentle and meek towards God. The word Gentle also means to accept God's dealings without murmuring or resistance, as his dealings are absolutely good and wise. Now, when people read that, they think about, well, God made me sick, and I don't know why. But that's not what he's talking about. Because James says, let no man say that when he's tempted, tested, or tried, that he's tempted, tested, or tried by God, for God cannot be tempted, tested, or tried because God does not tempt, test, or try anyone with evil. And the word evil is defined as sickness, illness, anything that can injure you, harm you, hurt you, as well as wickedness and all those other things. He does not tempt you, test you, or try you. Well, I don't know why God's trying me with this sickness. I wish he would remove it from me. And there you are going to the doctor, going against God's will. You just said God made you sick to teach you something and you're trying to go to the doctor to get well. Why don't you just believe God to learn what you need to learn and you'll be done? You see how we say one thing, but then we do something else. No, God don't tempt you, test you, or try you with anything that's evil. So what is then... The dealings of God. Well, Paul, when he was on his missionary trip, all of a sudden he gets this leading from the Holy Spirit, says, don't go to Asia. Don't go to Asia. But Asia was right there. You know, God, I'm a good steward of your money. 
So I'm going to go to Asia because it's right here. And it'll be cheaper to do it this way than to do it that way. That wasn't what God said. God said, don't go to Asia. I want you to go over here. And he wound up going where? Macedonia. And the preaching in Macedonia is what brought the gospel ultimately to America. So if Paul would have disobeyed, you'd still be a pagan. Now, when God said, don't go to Asia, he didn't mean forever. He meant like right now, don't go to Asia. So that would be like you in Florida, and you're ready to drive to Georgia, a few hours away. And God says, don't go to Georgia, go to California. Well, now I need a plane to go to California. Then I'm going to need a plane to come back and then a plane uh, to go to Georgia. And this is going to cost a whole lot more money and a lot of time. It'll be easier if I do it my way. Well, that's not accepting what God is trying to lead you and direct you in. If you believe, and you know, at the other side of our mouth is what? God supplies all my needs. And you're so afraid of need. But yet he supplies all you need. What are you afraid of need for? If you have a need, you got something for God to supply. Dear God. Either his word is true or it's not. Either you believe it or you don't. You either live it or you're not going to live it. Accepting his dealings as good and wise without murmuring or resistance. Paul, Paul, don't get on that ship. I'm telling you, don't get on that ship. He goes over to the centurion. Don't get on the ship. It's not going to be good. Don't get on the ship. Well, Paul had no choice. He was under the centurion's authority. Winds up getting on the ship. And what happens? They wind up in a hurricane. And the Lord appears, the angel of the Lord appears to Paul and says, I've given you the ship and the people, but this is what you need to do. And Paul comes out before all the people. And says to them, he has the nerve to say to these people what we always say, don't ever say this. Why? Because we're so pagan. And Paul, the first thing Paul does, he steps out there in the middle of the hurricane with all the crew and goes, you should have listened to me. I told you so. Ananias, I know you're having a real peaceful evening over here, but I got to talk to you about something. You remember that guy that was going around murdering Christians? His name was Saul from Tarsus. I want you to go pray for him. What? Oh, God, I've heard a lot of things about this guy. Yes, yes, I know, but he's a vessel of mine. Go pray for him and things will be okay. Peter, you know all them animals on that sheet? All them unclean animals? They're coming to your house. <laughs> I want you to go with them. <laughs> are you with me? See, these are the kinds of things that God deals with us about, leading us and directing us, and we are to accept them without murmuring, without complaining, and without resisting, because his ways are good. Hey, Peter, John, <laughs> look at the guy there. He's been at that gate called beautiful since he was a kid. Pick him up by the arm. I'm going to heal him right now. You know, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in your life right now and things, people are doing bad stuff and, you know, it's not looking too good. But here's the deal. You overcome evil with good. I don't want to be good. I want to be evil. They're being evil. They deserve evil. And God says, overcome evil with good. Well, whether it's don't go to Asia, don't get on the ship, go pray for Saul, you know, take him by the arm. Your flesh is going to suffer. Because your flesh is not going to want to do this. Your flesh has a better idea. Your flesh is afraid things aren't going to work. Your flesh is afraid things aren't going to turn around. Your flesh has got a lot of fear in it. 
and you're going to suffer that thing. But you're going to have to choose whether you're going to let your flesh suffer you or are you going to remove yourself from the effects of the suffering and obey God and not resist. Amen. You know why you got saved, right? Because your flesh was not your friend. <laughs> Amen. I'm not going to get through this today. I can tell already. You people have just created too many side, <laughs> side issues. <laughs> but you know, when you have issues in your life and you've got people that you've got to deal with, and you know, no matter how long you've been alive, you always realize you can't get away from people. And Jesus said, you've got to forgive. Seven times 70. To which we say, oh, Jesus, help me. Seven times 70. Now, we always take this to the extreme. Okay, I had somebody do some work for me. They ripped me off. Maybe it was an auto mechanic. Maybe it was a contractor. Um... Maybe it was somebody came to do some repair work on my house. They ripped me off. But I'm going to forgive them. So I'm going to call them back next week to do some more work for me. No, you don't have to call them back to do more work to show that you've forgiven them. You could forgive them. Because the Bible says, who you forgive, you what? You forget. Forgive and forget. So when you forgive them, forget. Forget their number. Forget their name. Go get somebody else. <laughs> okay, that might be a stretch on that verse. But I'm just telling you, you don't have to put yourself in position to get taken again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourself, for your soul. So the next word, humble, has to do with our disposition towards people. That I can accept insults, provocation, and anything else that people wants to throw at me as being God's minister. This doesn't mean you have to put up with their nonsense because they think you're ugly and stupid. not saying that you are. It's just the example. But when it comes to the things of God and people, for instance, I used to work in this one auto repair shop and everybody knew that I was on staff in this church, in, in a church that I was in. So since they knew that I was a Christian, they knew that I was a minister, they would want to set me up all the time at work to see how I'm going to respond to stuff. I mean, and they did some doozies, too. And, um, but no matter how much they would try to insult, provoke, or whatever, you did not respond in an aggravated, insulting way because you accept that, because you realize you're a minister for God. You're a child of God, and the devil wants you to fall. I got so mad. I was working on a car one time. I got so mad at the car. I kicked the tire on the car. I was so mad. And somebody there was in the shop comes over and goes, now, 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 the Bible says love your neighbor. No, he says, the Bible says walk in love. I said, yeah, the Bible says love your neighbor. Don't say love your neighbor's car. <laughs> No, his car, we dropped off the lift. <laughs> okay, I didn't drop it off. Your, your buddy Danny dropped it off. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a disposition towards people. You know, I, I was at the shop, and, and if there's anything I hate, it's, it's, it's those machines that take your money and won't give you your product. That really annoys me. So I had put my machine, my money in the machine one time, 
And um, it took my money and wouldn't give me what I wanted. So it wasn't an extremely big machine. So I got my arms around the machine. Now this is, of course, when I'm back at like 30 years old and I could do this. And I put my arms around the machine. I kind of picked it up and bam, dropped it onto the ground so that my stuff would fall out. And somebody comes walking by. And he goes, now, 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 the Bible says, blessed are the meek. So I grabbed him by the shirt and I said, sit down and I'll tell you what that's all about. <laughs> it has nothing to do with a candy machine. <laughs> so we had a little Bible study right there over a candy machine. <laughs> are you with me? And it was amazing how many of these people knew what the Bible says, but they certainly didn't live it. All they wanted to do was use it to try to catch you, kind of like the lawyers did with Jesus. Well, the Bible says, the, 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 the Word of God says, if somebody's caught in adultery, they should be stoned. What do you say? I would have said, where's the guy? Where's the guy? How come he's not here? Was she committing adultery by herself? Where's the guy? But it was a male chauvinist society. And Jesus will always stand up for the underdog. And the truth was not about the lore of stoning her. The truth was about the mercy of forgiving her. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to stop here because I could go on longer than you probably want to stay. <laughs> and we're just going to pick this up next week and then go a little further with the things and find out, because God wants us to live in refreshing. He wants us to be refreshed. Isn't that right? So just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just lift your hands, bless him, praise him. Get into his presence. Just tell him how much you love him, how much he means to you, how precious he is to you in your life, how thankful you are for the things that he's done, that he's delivered you from. Oh, that he set us free, set us on high, delivered us out of the pit. For some of us, he delivered us out of a deeper pit than others, but it was all in the pit. He's delivered us out of it. He's brought us, seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. He made us to be children of the Most High God. Oh, Father, thank you, Lord. You made us to be a living temple so that your spirit could dwell on the inside of us. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. All glory and honor to you, Lord. There's none like you. Hallelujah to our God and our King. Father, I thank you that whether it's in the room, whether it's live stream, whether it's podcast, because we're giving ourselves to you right here, that your presence just drops. Father, that you make yourself known to each and every one of us as individuals right now, that even though we know you, that tangible, manifested presence comes alive right now in us and refreshes us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. We honor you. We honor your presence, Lord. Glorious King, you are the mighty God, the everlasting Father, my Savior, my Lord, my King, my God, my Father, my healer, deliverer, my provider, my protector, my all in all, my everything. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, right here, right now, in, this very in your very presence, we come before you with our giving, Father. We come with the sacrifice of our giving to praise you, to honor you with our substance. For you've given your substance of your life to us. And we give our substance to you. You gave your whole life, but we don't have to give all of our substance to you. We give a part to you based on the leadership, direction of your word and your Holy Spirit. 
that whether we come to you with our tithe, our first fruit offering, or our seed sowing, Lord, I thank you for your word that promises return. There are promises attached to our giving, and we'll declare the right kind and correct word that goes along with the kind of giving that we're doing today. And I thank you, Father, that you're not a man that you should lie, but you watch over your word to perform it. You confirm it with signs following. Lord, I thank you for that. Bless you, praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Glory to God, glory to God. If you need an envelope for cash or for credit card giving, if you raise your hand, the ushers will serve you. Thank you for joining us again on live stream and podcast. We're so glad you could be with us today. I don't know about you out there, but I'm sure it was the same as in here. The presence of God just dropped, just touched every single person in here. And I know he did for you also. Because we open our hearts to him. And we're e our ears are open to him. Our eyes are open to him. And we look to receive, take hold, and to move in, to walk in that which he puts on the inside of us that we give him opportunity to move through us and touch those that are around us in our sphere of influence in our life. So thank you again for joining with us today and allowing us to actually be with you wherever you may be. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. And if there's anything at all that we can stand in prayer with you about, please let us know. It is always an honor to stand with our partners and believe God for your needs to be met. Amen.